Whoa, that is not my walk-up song. Anyways, welcome everybody to our church today. It's great to have you here. That was, uh, as I said, not my walk-up song, but it was a theme song to one of the creepiest shows ever to be on television back in the 60s, which was before my time. It was called The Twilight Zone. You might remember it was hosted by Rod Sterling, just like this right here. Well, in 1960, they aired uh, a spooky episode called The Howling Man. And it was a story of an American named David Ellington who went on a hiking uh, trip adventure throughout Europe. Well, one day, Ellington got caught up in a huge rainstorm and he was looking for shelter. And he saw way out in the distance a medieval castle. So he went to the castle and they let him in. Turned out that the castle was a home to a, a brotherhood of monks and they reluctantly allowed him to stay uh, during the rainstorm. Well, upon entering the castle, Ellington heard a wolf-like howl. Oh, something like that. And uh, so he went to check it out. He went to investigate. And there in the bowels of the castle, he found a man locked up in a cell. I want to show you some pics from, the, uh, from this actual episode. These are actual pics. And he came across this man, and the man, he, he began to talk with him. He seemed very intelligent, told Ellington that he was being held prisoner of a fanatic, by a fanatical religious order, and he pleaded with Ellington to, to release him, to, to let him out of, out of the cell. Well, Ellington didn't know what to do, and so he spoke with Brother Jerome, who was the head of the order. And Jerome explained to the American that this man was no man at all, but that, in fact, he was the devil. And they captured him, and they locked him up in this cell, and they barred the cell with the staff of truth to keep him from getting out. But Ellington didn't believe Brother Jerome. He said the prisoner's kindly face and, and gentle voice had won him over. And so later, when no one was looking, Ellington snuck back down to the dungeon and at the man's urging, he removed the staff barring the cell and released the prisoner from that little jail. And when the prisoner exited, he immediately pinned Ellington to the floor and he morphed into the real creature that he was, and that was the devil. This was the actual uh, image that came from that movie. And then in an instant, he was gone. Brother Jerome came and found the collapsed Ellington. He found him collapsed and he was distressed to learn that he had released the devil into the world. Here's what Brother Jerome said to Ellington. He said, I am so sorry for you, my son. All your life you will remember this night in whom you have turned loose upon the world. To which the American replied, I didn't believe you. I saw him and I didn't recognize him. And Brother Jerome solemnly observed, that is man's weakness and Satan's strength. Indeed, that is man's weakness and Satan's strength, that people may see him, but they don't recognize him. A number of years ago, the Barna uh, Research Group polled more than 1,800 Christians, and they wanted to know what they thought about the devil. And in that survey, 40% of the respondents agreed with the statement, Satan is not a living being, but he is merely a symbol of evil. 40% of Christ followers agreed with that statement. Satan is not a living being, but he's merely a symbol of evil. I mean, imagine that. 40% of churchgoers don't believe that the devil is real. Now, I can't tell you how alarming that is to us because if you can't recognize your enemy, then you've already lost. 
Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series here, a sobering series, I would add, called titling, uh, titled God versus Satan. And for the next six to eight weeks or so, Pastor Greg and I are going to unpack what the scriptures have to say about who the devil is, what he's up to, the war between him and God, and how this whole war will end. And I can't wait for that part of it. And during this series, I want to encourage you to take notes because we're going to cover a lot of material. And I also want to encourage you to always have your Bible handy because we're going to look at the scriptures. You can also refer to our app, which has uh, the verses listed there for you. But, you know, Pastor Greg and I believe that the best way that we can help you to recognize the the, uh, the devil is by teaching you what God's word has to say about him. And so that's what we're going to endeavor to do. This is more of a thinking cap kind of a series. Uh, we're not going to tell a lot of jokes, but we're going to kind of walk you through what the scriptures have to say. And, and I can't even begin to tell you how important we think this series is. Because we believe that Satan is behind a lot of the turmoil that we see going on in the world today. A lot of it. And so hopefully this series will help you, will begin to help you to understand what's going on and who's behind it. And uh, during this series, we also cover your prayers. We cover your prayers for our study time that God would help us to rightly divide the word of truth. And that we also ask for uh, your prayers for God's protection over us and our family members and our church as well. We suspect that the enemy won't be too pleased with what we're going to say about him. So thank you for your prayers. And speaking of which, I want to begin our time in a word of prayer. I want to ask you, I mean, even, even uh, the last 12 hours have been really interesting for me. Uh, late last night, our dog started to get sick. And so uh, I was up till 1.30 at least. And and Natalie finally said, well, I'll take care of him so you can sleep because you got to preach in the morning. So bless her heart. She filled in for me. I think he was a little bit better this morning. And then, and then this morning, um, I had a, a strange conversation with somebody who, who doesn't come to our church. He, he came and wanted to speak with me and said it was urgent. It was just kind of a very strange conversation, I thought. And then, and then this morning, I also learned that, that we lost a very precious man in our church, uh, Steve Uranus. And so I want to ask you to pray for, uh, not Stephen, but Caesar, Uranus, and, and um, I want to ask you to pray for uh, Caesar's wife, Karen, and the other family members, as this is a very, very, very difficult time for them, all right? So let's begin our, our time in a word of prayer, and uh, we're excited, I'm excited for, for uh, uh, teaching God's word today. But Father, thank you so much. Lord, it is so good to be here today. It is so good to open up your word, and Lord, the first thing that we think about is just, I think about you know, Karen and, and her tremendous loss. And God, we pray that you would touch her heart and the heart of, her, of every family member as they grieve this, this huge loss. Father, we thank you for the promise of heaven because we know that Caesar's not gone in any, by any means, maybe gone from our presence, but he's very much alive in yours. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope of heaven. I, I don't know what we would do without that, Lord. And this morning, God, as we, as we come and tackle a very sobering subject, Father, I pray that first you, you would just give each and every one of us a, a, real, a real hunger and, and thirst to know what your word says. No one wants to hear from me. We, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what your word has to say about our enemy. And so, God, today, as, as, I, as we open up the scriptures, will you speak to each and every one of us? Will you teach us? 
Will you be clear? Will you help me to be clear? And God, I pray that we would take all these things and we would apply them to our lives. And I pray that in every way it would make us better followers of yours as we become more and more aware and recognize who our enemy is. So thank you, Father, so much. ask you for your presence and your blessing to be upon us now. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin today by providing you with some background which I think you're going to find absolutely fascinating. The devil goes by many different names, and we're going to be touching on them throughout this series, but I want to just give you five names that he goes by. The first time we come across the word devil or the name devil is in Matthew 4.1. We don't see that name appear in the Old Testament scriptures, but it first comes up to us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to put these verses up here for you because we're going to just run through them very quickly. And if you can flip through your, uh, your verses quickly in the, in the Bible, do that. But Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right, so that's the first time we see this name appear. The, the Greek word for devil is diabolos, and it means slanderer. All right, second, first time we see the name Satan is in the book of Job. It actually appears before that in Chronicles, I believe, but it shows up in Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, so the first time he is written about is by Job. In Job 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan uh, also came among them. So there is Satan. In Hebrew, the name Satan means adversary. A third name for Satan or the devil is Beelzebul. Beelzebul. We see that in Matthew 12, verse 24. It says, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. All right? Prince of demons would be the devil. Now, Beelzebul comes from the name of a Philistine god, Beelzebub. And Beelzebub had wings and he could fly. Therefore, he was known as the Lord of the Flies. But the name, the name we see here in Matthew 12 is Beelzebul, right? And this passage tells us that Beelzebul was the prince of demons. Fourth name for Satan is found in Revelation 9, 11, which says they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, the king of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Now the correct pronunciation is Abaddon, not Abaddon, Abaddon, which means destruction. And the correct pronunciation of Apollyon is Apolluon, which means destroyer. All right, so these are, the, these are the names that we find of the devil or Satan. There's one other name. Uh, and we're going to cover others, but there's one other name, and I want to give this one to you. And this one is one that you might be familiar with, and it's the name Lucifer. All right, Lucifer, we, it comes from Isaiah chapter 14, 12. You may want to turn to your Bibles for this one, all right? Turn to Matthew, uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And stay with me because this is absolutely fascinating. You're going to love this. Isaiah 14, 12 in the English Standard Version Bible, which is what we primarily use here, ESV, here's what it says. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. All right? I highlighted day star. Day star. In the original language in which this verse in the Old Testament was written was Hebrew. All right? And the Hebrew word for day star is hallel. It's hallel. Hallel is where we get the word hallelujah. And hallel means shining one. Now, um, 
Take a look at the same verse, all right? Take a look at Isaiah 14, 12 in the NIV translation. And sometimes we'll, we'll use NIV verses here, New International Version. Here's what it says. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. All right, so here, Hallel is translated morning star in the NIV. Now take a look at the NASB. The NASB would be the new uh, American Standard Bible Version. Great translation. Uh, we use it uh, periodically here. Here's what it says. How you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning. All right? Son of the dawn. So here in the NASB, Hallel is translated star of the morning. Finally, again, look on the screen. Here is the King James Version translation of the same verse. It says, Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So there it is right there. There is Lucifer. It's only, it only appears in the King James Translation Bible. Hallel is translated Lucifer. Which begs the question, how did King, the King James translators come up with Lucifer? Well, let me tell you how. Back in 382 A.D., Pope Damascus commissioned a scholar named Jerome to come up with an official Latin version of the Bible that could be used by the Catholic Church. This is a rendering of Jerome. So he went off somewhere to do his work. Presumably, they say that he went off to a cave somewhere in Jerusalem. You're looking again, 382 A.D. He went off. And in one hand, he had the Hebrew Scriptures, the Hebrew Old Testament, and he had the Greek New Testament. So he had these two manuscripts in his hand, and he went off to translate them into Latin. And when he, when he was translating the Old Testament, when he came to Isaiah 14, verse 12, and he came to the word Hallel, he translated it Lucifero or Lucifer. Now, Lucifero is a Latin word. Again, he's translating it into Latin. Lucifer is a Latin word, comes from two other Latin words, the word lux and pharos. Lux is the Latin word for light. Pharos is the Latin word for to bear. If you put them together, Lucifer means light bearer. That's what it means, right? And this is the word that Jerome used in place of halal in Isaiah 14, 12. And it came to refer to the, dev to the devil. It took him 23 years to finish translating the Bible into Latin. And when he finished his work, his work came to be known as the Latin Vulgate Bible, which to this day is the authoritative Bible for the Catholic Church, the Latin Vulgate Bible. For a thousand years, the Latin Vulgate Bible was without rival. It was literally the only version of the Bible that was available to anyone who wanted to read it in Europe. In 1604, however, the King of England, James I, commissioned 54 scholars to begin work on translating Jerome's Latin Vulgate Bible into English because they wanted the scriptures in English. And so in 1604, they began to translate it into English. The finished product was called the King James Version Bible, named after King James I. When the King James translators came to Isaiah 14, 12, they looked at the Latin Vulgate Bible. They saw the word Lucifer, and they decided not to change it. They decided to leave it alone. They kept it in the King James Version Bible. That's why, take a look at it again. You see it, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, the King James Version translation. 
The problem with this translation is that the name Lucifer doesn't appear anywhere in the scriptures. It doesn't appear in the Hebrew Old Testament. It doesn't appear in the Greek New Testament. I mean, it's pretty wild if you think about it. Smack dab in the middle of the Hebrew Old Testament is this Latin word, Lucifero. And because it's been there since around the 4th century, a lot of people, including some of the greatest Bible teachers of our day, have accepted it as the truth that Lucifer is the devil's name. But it's not. There's no, there's no scriptural basis for it. So that's the background I wanted to give you, all right? And, and I wanted you to know that because you will hear a lot of Bible teachers talk about the devil, and they'll always refer to him as Lucifer. Now take a look at Ezekiel 28. I want to show you how the devil came to be the devil. How did he come to be the devil? And again, like I said, I'm not going to have a lot of stories for you here. I'm just going to give you scriptures. I want you to know what God's word says. How did the devil come to be the devil? Listen to what... God said about Satan in Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. All right, you can stop right there. So the devil was a guardian cherub. Cherubs are angels. The word guardian in Hebrew means anointed. So, so he was an anointed angel. He was an anointed angel, and that's why he was referred to as Hallel in Isaiah, because he was a shining one. He was a shining, brilliant angel. And he lived on the holy mountain, which, which was a reference to heaven. And verse 15 says he was perfect. He was blameless in all his ways until he was found to be with sin. Well, what was his sin? If you jump back to Isaiah 14, it tells us, Isaiah 14, verse 13, says, You said in your heart, Hallel, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Notice all of the I wills. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights. I will make myself like the most high. You see, it was all about him. I will, I will, I will. It was all about him. His sin was pride. Hallel wanted to dethrone God. He wanted to take his place and he wanted to be God. And it's interesting. But the very end, that's exactly what the Antichrist wants to do, right? The agent of the devil. He wants to be Take God's place. Well, as you can imagine, uh, this didn't sit well with God, and so war broke out, and it was God versus Satan. And, and so this is where it all began, the conflict that we see even today. This is where it all began. It began in heaven. Of all the crazy places, it began in heaven. And immediately when Halal decided he wanted to take God's place, he gathered an army of other angels to join him in the fight against God, to overthrow God. And it sounds almost surreal if you think about it. It's almost like the light, the, you know, the, the, the good guys against the dark side. It almost sounds like Star Wars. But here's what the Apostle John said about this cosmic fight in the book of Revelation. He said, now war rose in heaven. Imagine that. War rose in heaven. And Michael and his archangels and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and, and his angels fought back. Right? Michael the archangel led the fight. And the dragon, that was the devil. And his angels, his angels fought back. And again, what a scene it must have been. You can only imagine. 
Now take a look at the next verse, Revelation 12, verse 8. But he was defeated. Halal was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Halal and his cohorts were resoundingly defeated. They were trounced. And that's when God cast them out of heaven. And I suspect it wasn't even close. And then Revelation 12, 12 describes what happened in the most ominous of terms. Listen to this. Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Right? Heaven is a place where we rejoice. But woe to you. Woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Very terrifying description of what happened. You know, earlier this year, an author, a writer named Gabriel Baker came out with a book called Spare No One. Here's the, here's the book cover. Spare No One is about the, was about the take no prisoners approach that, the, that the, Ro, the Roman Empire practiced when it came to warfare. Take no prisoners. In fact, the subtitle of the book, as you can see here, is Mass Violence in Roman Warfare. Mass Violence in Roman Warfare. Here's part of the description of the book that I found on Amazon. It said this, quote, In 146 B.C., the armies of the Roman Republic destroyed Carthage and Corinth. Remember, Corinth was one of the churches that Paul wrote a, a letter to. Two of the most spectacular cities of the ancient Mediterranean world. It was a display of ruthlessness so terrible that it shocked contemporaries, leaving behind deep scars and palpable historical traumas. Yet these twin destructions were not so extraordinary in the long annals of Roman warfare. In Spare No One, Gabriel Baker convincingly shows that, the mass violence was vi that mass violence was vital to Roman military operations. Indeed, in virtually every war they fought during the 3rd and 2nd centuries B.C., the Roman legions killed and enslaved populations, executed prisoners, and put cities to the torch. This powerful book reveals that, there, that these violent acts were not normally the handiwork of frenzied soldiers run amok, nor were they spontaneous outbursts of uncontrolled savagery, on the contrary, and more troublingly, Roman commanders deliberately used these brutal strategies to achieve their most critical military objectives and political goals. In other words, the thesis of Baker's book is this, that when it came to war and conquest, the, the Roman Empire spared no one. They spared no one. And this was of interest to me, this book was of interest to me because, because all of Judea, the time of Christ, was, was conquered by the Roman Empire. I mean, in other words, they spared no one. And if you were not for them, you were against them. And if you were against them, then you were targeted for annihilation. From the moment, from the moment that Satan touched down on earth, his MO was to spare no one. That's his approach. If you're not with him, you're against him. If you're against him, then you will not be spared and you will be targeted for destruction. And that's exactly how he has carried out his fight here on planet Earth. He came down in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And that's exactly his approach to warfare against the world. Spare no one. And the first place that Satan showed up when he was expelled from heaven. You know where he showed up? first place he showed up when he was expelled from heaven was in the Garden of Eden. That's where he came. He came to the Garden of Eden. He went right to work against God's most prized creation, and that was man himself. After all, 
God created man in his own image. And that's all the devil needed to know, that, that we were created in God's image. And that was every reason to go after people because they were created in his image. See, first, Satan knew that if he could get Adam and Eve to disobey God, he knew that if he can get them to disobey God, he knew that every man, woman, and child who came after them would be tainted and infected by sin. And that's exactly what happened. He, he worked his sinister plan to perfection. He tempted Eve. They fell. They sinned. Adam sinned. And the fall occurred. Romans 5, 12, 18, and 19. Let me put these up here for you. It says this. These are very sobering verses. Paul wrote, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because of all sin. Death came to all people because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Verse 18. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Everyone was now under condemnation. Verse 19. Through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. We were all made sinners. These are sobering verses. The, re the repercussions of Adam and Eve's disobedience were staggering because it drove a wedge between the whole of humanity and our creator God. It drove a wedge. Second, the devil also knew that if he can get Adam and Eve to disobey God, it would be a game changer in regards to the quality of life that every human being would live after them. And indeed, Sin gave way to every disease and sickness and disability known to man, including COVID. And henceforth, we would live in a life of hardship and suffering and adversity and poverty and misery and on and on. And that's why life is so tough. Life is hard. Every single day, it's hard. Third, Adam and he, Satan knew that Adam and Eve's failure would have a ripple effect on every relationship that we would have, that we would be involved in. Every relationship. He knew that sin would interrupt that perfect harmony that, we, that Adam and Eve experienced with one another. And because of sin, our relationships would then, from, there, from then on, be marred with strife and discord and conflict and hate, and jealousy, and bitterness, and rage, and prejudice, cruelty, exploitation, abuse, slavery, rape, abortions, murder, and even genocide, mass murder. And the master behind it all, mastermind behind it all was the devil himself. And thus, when the devil touched down on earth, his first priority was to go after people because he hates people. You can write that one down. Satan hates people. He hates people because God loves people. He hates people because God created people. And so he hates people. And that means he hates you. He hates every one of you. Every one of you watching and listening, he hates you. You know, every, every New Year's Eve, we, uh, my family, uh, we go to Amy Takamoto's house for a New Year's Eve uh, celebration. And um, we go there, we have dinner, we, uh, we play Mexican train, and then we get out the Martinelli's, and we toast uh, in the new year right at midnight, and then we stick around for a little while longer to finish up our game, and then we go home. Well, a couple years ago, as we were uh, getting ready on a New Year's Eve to go to Amy's house, uh, Cheryl was uh, busily making um, 
preparations for a wonderful seafood uh, dish that she was planning to take over there, Chilean sea bass in a juicy teriyaki sauce, and that's one of my favorite dishes. And so she cooked it in one of those aluminum trays that you can get at the market, and we've got a bunch of them in our, in our kitchen here, aluminum trays, and after she was done, it smelled so good, she put an aluminum foil on it, and she tucked it up real nice, and then she handed it over to me, she says, okay, put this in the car. And I was concerned that it might spill, so I got a box. I had the lid from a, I think it was probably some copy paper uh, box, you know, hey, you have that from Costco, and I got that, and I put it in there, and it's sitting there perfectly, and I put it in the trunk of our car, and then it was time to go, and so we left. And on the way over there, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember that I, I believe I had to step on the gas or the, the brakes suddenly because some crazy person cut in front of me and I didn't want to hit him. So I, you know, I hope it wasn't anyone from South Bay Community Church, but hit, hit the brakes and it was fine. And then, and then, you know, immediately I thought, oh, I hope, I, hope, I hope the juices didn't spill. I hope it didn't spill out of the, I hope it didn't come out of the tray. And I thought, but it should be okay because it got the aluminum foil on it and I got it in a box. Well, sure enough, after you know, driving just a few minutes more, we can begin to smell the, the juicy uh, teriyaki sauce, the Chilean sea bass teriyaki sauce, and I began to smell and go, oh, I think it might have spilled. But I says, I think I'm okay because it was in a box. And uh, we finally um, got to Amy's house. And after we arrived, I opened the trunk, and sure enough, I mean, the, the, the power was overwhelming. It smelled so good. And it was overwhelming because all the juices, a lot of the juices had sloshed out of the tray. And not only did it slosh out of the tray, but it sloshed out of the box and onto the carpet that lined the, the trunk. And then it sloshed so much into the box that it began, to, it began to soak right through the box and onto the carpet that lined the trunk. And it was a mess. And so, you know, we got it out, and I was like, oh, you know, goodness, this is terrible. And so we got it out, and I, I, we got the box, and we were able to put it in a trash can, and I carried the tray up like that, and it was dripping all over the place, but we got it up there. And uh, that whole evening, you know, we had a wonderful dinner. He ate the Chilean sea bass and teriyaki sauce and a bunch of other things, and we played Mexican Train, celebrated the new year, and the whole time, the whole evening, all I could think about was how the carpet and my the trunk of my car was soaking in the juices of the Chilean sea bass teriyaki sauce. That's all I could think of. And that's exactly what happened. As it turns out, those juices did such a good job of marinating my carpet that I couldn't get the smell out of it for at least a month. That evening when I got it home, you know, I got a bucket of, of warm water and soap, got some uh, laundry detergent, mixed it up, and I, and I started going in there and I started washing it down as best as I could and trying to soak it up and take it out and all these kinds of things. And, and the next day it was horrible. And the day after that it was horrible. So someone said, use vinegar. So I got a bucket of vinegar and, and water and I mixed it up and I put it in there and, and it dried it out and, hope, and nothing. And I used baking soda, and I used, I went to 99 cent store, and I got carpet deodorizer, and I put that all over the place, and that didn't help, and all I could smell was fish, and then I used OxyClean, and I used lemons, I mean, I, people gave me all kinds of um, advice on what I should do, I mean, I kept the trunk open during the day to let the smell out, and at night I would keep it open, and I would, I would uh, put a fan in there to, to air it out as best as I could, I even prayed I was so desperate, <laughs> but it didn't go away. It was horrible. It didn't go away. Kylie and Natalie didn't want to get in my car. We don't want to go in your car because it smells like fish. Cheryl was the only one who thought it smelled wonderful because she made it. It was so bad, you know, when you, when you for weeks and weeks and weeks, it's, it, I thought it was coming through the air conditioning. 
When I turned the air conditioning on, I thought it was coming through the seats. I think it's in the seats. It was just horrible, right? The, the stench of the fish enveloped my car. Well, in the same way, the devil knew that if you could get, if you can get Adam and Eve to disobey God, the stench of sin would permeate the entire world. He knew that. He knew that if he can get them to, to sin, disobey God, he, he knew that the corruption would, would envelop, cor, sinful corruption would envelop the earth. And that's exactly what happened. Genesis 3, verse 17 says, And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, this is God speaking, Because you've listened to your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. There it is right there. Cursed is the ground because of you, because you didn't, because you disobeyed me, the ground is cursed. Because of the fall, the earth was once, that was once absolutely pristine. It was pristine when God made it. Became cursed. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8.21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Paul said that the creation itself, all of creation, not just the earth, but the creation itself, is in bondage to corruption. And so sin led to earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes, cyclones and Volcanoes and floods and mudslides and snowstorms and freezing temperatures and scorching hot temperatures. I mean, we live in Carson and we've been rocked by a lot of aftershocks after that little earthquake we had a couple weeks ago. And we had one the other night. And just, you know, just it's, it's jolting and it's, it makes you jump. And, uh, but it can all be traced back to the work of the devil. It's what he did. So we write this one down. Satan hates what God created. And so he's gone after what he created, all of, all of creation itself. And he didn't stop there. When God declared that the Jews were his chosen people, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, take a look at it. For you are a, holy peop, a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. When God decided that the Jews were going to be his people, these are my people, Satan went ballistic. He went ballistic. And then when God promised to give the Jews a land and to make them a great nation in Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. When Satan found out that God was going to give them a land and a great nation, he went ballistic. And he launched out on a campaign to eradicate the Jews and eradicate Israel off the face of the map. And it continues to this day. In front, I think 1 Chronicles 21.1 sums it up best. Summed it up best when it said this, what's going on. It says, then Satan stood against Israel. That's exactly what's been happening. Satan has been standing up against Israel. That's what's going on. The devil has taken a fight his fight to God's people. You see, Satan hates those whom God loves. And God loves the Jews. God loves Israel. And so he's taking the fight to them. See, church, I want you to understand something, right? The attacks against Israel and the Jews are not political. It may seem political. The actors in the drama are probably political. The discussions, the discourse may be political. But make no mistake about it, what's going on is spiritual. This is all spiritual, and the attacks against Israel are spiritual. Satan is hell-bent on destroying what God loves, and God loves Israel. And that's why I believe we must always stand with those whom God loves, including Israel. As you know, there isn't anyone that God loves more than his son Jesus. 
His one and only son, Jesus. And when God came up with a plan to redeem man and to fix what Adam and Eve ruined, it required that he send his one and only son to planet Earth to die on a cross for our sins. And when God came up with a plan to send Jesus to planet Earth, the devil pulled out all the stops to make sure it never happened, and that meant going right after Jesus. In the book of Revelation, there's a riveting description of what went down behind the scenes when God sent Jesus to earth. I mean, in a sense, this is, this is kind of a Christmas verse in Revelation 12.4. It's kind of a Christmas, a behind-the-scenes of Christmas verse. Take a look at it. And it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Okay, now when you read this, it's pretty clear what it's talking about, right? First of all, let me tell you this. The, the book of Revelation is one of the most difficult books in the Bible to figure out, to decipher, because it's written in a lot of vivid imagery and symbolism. And without spending a lot of time on, on this, I want to just explain a couple things to you. First, it's very clear. This passage is about the birth of Christ, right? About this woman that gives birth, and this birth will rule all the nations. That's, that's Christ, right? Now, once more we see in this passage, we see the dragon, and that's the devil. And, and we see the woman. Now, I want, I want you to know something here. The woman here is not Mary, right? You, you look, initial glance, you look at it, and you think, oh, that, that's Mary. No, that's not Mary. Mary, the woman here refers to Israel, and the reason why we know that is because you read the context. And I'm not taking time to read the context for you today. But if you read the context, he's talking about Israel. So the woman is Israel. And the idea is that the woman is Israel. Israel gave us Jesus. All right, it's like saying Japan gave us Shohei Otani. Well, it wasn't Japan that gave us Shohei Otani. It was his mommy and daddy that gave us Shohei Otani, right? They're the ones that gave birth to him. But in a sense, in a manner of speaking, you could say that it was Japan that gave us Shohei Otani. Right? In the same way, this is, what this is saying is that the woman gave us the son. No, it, was, it was Israel that gave us Jesus. You know, Jesus was a Jew, right? He came out of Israel. So that's what this is saying. And so from the moment Jesus was born, Satan was out to get him. And verse 4 says, and he wanted to devour him. He wanted to devour him. He wanted to destroy him. And do you remember what happened? That you know, what, what King Herod tried to do the moment Jesus was born. Remember what happened when when he was born, King Herod went right to work. Matthew 2.13 says this. For when they had departed, he, he was, they departed from, I think it was uh, Bethlehem. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. That's Jesus' earthly father. He appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child, Jesus, and his mother Mary, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child. To what? To destroy him. He wanted to devour him. He wanted to kill him. And Herod was so determined to kill Jesus that when he couldn't find him, he ordered the murder of any and every boy under the age of two that lived in Jerusalem. Kill them all to make sure we get him, was his attitude. And they did. They killed every boy under the age of two. But fortunately, he wasn't there. Even insofar as Christ's betrayal was concerned, the devil had his fingerprints all over. Remember Luke 22, verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot. Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus, which led to his trial and crucifixion. Satan entered into Judas. His fingerprints were all over it. It was the, the devil working behind the scenes, pulling the strings to kill Jesus. 
You see, Satan hates God's son. He hates God's son. And not only does he hate, hate God's son, but he hates anyone who dares to follow his son. He hates anyone who dares to follow Jesus. In Mark 4, Jesus told the parable of the sower. The parable shows us what happens when people hear about Jesus. Right? Do you know what? Do you know what it says here? Take a look at Mark 4, 15. It says, when they hear, when they hear the word of God, when they hear the gospel, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want them to believe in the word. Right? This shows us two things, two things going on here. One, Satan hates God's word. You can write that one down. Satan hates God's word. He hates the scriptures, he hates the Bible. And that's why he has sent false teachers and false prophets into the world to twist the word, to pervert the word, to water down the word, to get us not to believe the word, to get us to believe lies about the word. He hates God's word. And second, he hates people who take in God's word, which leads to faith in Jesus. And so Satan hates people who follow Jesus. You can write that one down. He hates people who follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, he hates you with every ounce of his being. He hates you. And he'll do whatever it takes. He'll do whatever he can to keep you from following Jesus. In Luke 22, 31, Jesus spoke these words to Simon Peter. Take a look at it. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. The word sift, carries with it the idea of picking you apart or tearing you apart. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants to pick you apart. He wants to tear you apart. He wants to rip you to shreds. He doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know that your sins have been forgiven by Christ. He doesn't want you to know that the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. He doesn't want you to know that you can make an impact in this world for him. He doesn't want you to walk with Christ every single day. He doesn't want you to love the scriptures. He wants to pick you apart and tear you apart. And he will spare no one or nothing to do it. And that's why it's critical that we recognize who the devil is and what he's up to. Because those who don't recognize him are the most vulnerable. And that's why we're doing this series. Let me close with this. I told you some pretty scary stuff today some very disturbing things about who the devil is. There's no question he's not to be messed with. Don't mess with him. But here's what I want you to know, right? You don't have to live in fear of the devil. You don't have to live in fear of the devil. You don't have to be afraid to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because you're afraid the devil's going to jump out at you in the middle of the, in, in the dark. Uh, you don't have to be afraid of that. If you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you're walking with Him, if you're walking in the Spirit, you've got nothing to fear. Do we hear an amen for that? You've got nothing to fear. Satan can't defeat you. He can't defeat you. He may mess with you, but he can't defeat you. And I can't wait to get to the end of this series when I tell you how, did all, how this all ends. You will be absolutely, your mind will be blown by how this all ends with regards to everything, with regards to the earth, with regards to relationships, with regards to, to sin and all that. You will be absolutely amazed at what happens to the devil himself. But you know why the devil can't defeat you? It's because of what this final verse I want to show you says. Right here. 1 John 4, 4. 
Little children. That's us, right? We're just little children. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in the world? Well, the devil is. The devil and all of his evil helpers. And we're going to do a message on, on demons here as well in the next couple of weeks. But the, the devil is, the, the scriptures say he's the ruler of this world. He's the God of this age. He's the one who's in the world. But who's in you? Who's in you? Well, if you have faith, God is in you. Almighty God is in you. Jesus is in you. And the Holy Spirit is in you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the word greater there is the word megas, the Greek word megas, where we get the word mega. And it means to be greater in the widest sense. Greatest, greater in the widest sense, which means that if the Holy Spirit is in you, if God is in you, he is greater in the widest sense than the devil. There is no rival to who God is. There is no equal to who God is. And that's why we have, no, we have nothing to fear because of who is in us as opposed to who is in the world. That's why you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to leave here today all freaked out like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I gotta be careful. You know, I'm afraid, I gotta keep the cross up all the time. No, you don't have to be afraid, right? But if you leave, as you leave here today, be alert, be sober-minded, and if anything, take God seriously. Take him seriously. Follow him with everything that you have and help others to do the same as well because God is real. Just as Satan is real, God is real and he is on your side and he loves you with everything that he has. We are his children, so follow him. Hey, I want to invite you to stick around. Don't leave. Unless you have, if you have to leave, I understand you have to leave. But if you can stick around for our time of worship that comes right now, stick around for this. I promise you, it will pump you up. Let's close our time in prayer. Would you all bow your heads and just close your eyes for a second as you just think about what you heard those of you who are watching online, those of you who are under the tent, those of you who might be in the lobby, those of you who are here today, I'm going to ask you something. Is God in you? Is Jesus in you? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Well, if you've asked them to be in you, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, they're in you. But if you haven't, they're not. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, then don't leave here. Don't turn off your TV or computer until you put your faith in him. Because in this crazy world we're living in, there is a real devil. There is a real devil. And he'd love to get at you. Don't let him. Give your heart to Christ. And 
if you do, he will come to live inside of you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You will have nothing to fear. Give your heart to Jesus. Say this to him, wherever you're at. Dear God, I believe in you. And I believe you came up with this great plan to redeem man from sin, including me, by sending your son to planet earth to die on a cross. The one you love the most, you sent him to die for me. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that after he died, he was raised from the dead because he was God after all. So I put my trust in you. Come and live inside of me. And thank you for the promise that the Jesus who is in me, the Holy Spirit who is in me, is, is greater than enemy that I have out there. I hope you pray that prayer. And if you do, let somebody know so we can celebrate that with you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity that it gives to us so that we might be able to recognize who our enemy is. And Father, thank you so much that we don't have to be afraid of the devil. We certainly should have a a respect for who he is and what he does, but we don't have to be afraid. Help us as we leave here to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be on our guard, and always be aware of what he's up to that we may know exactly how we can fight him in this world that we live in. And Father, I pray um, with, with, with much thanksgiving in my heart that you will help us more than anything else, every one of us, to take you seriously, to follow after you with all of our hearts because you are real. There is no one like you. There is no equal to you. There is no rival for you. So thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.